Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, Radical Optimists. Welcome to the Future Positive Podcast, a podcast from XPRIZE that aims to bring you the most future-forward topics and the world's brightest minds. I'm your host, Shlomi Katan, Chief Advancement Officer at the XPRIZE Foundation. If you're new to the show, in each episode, you'll hear from world leaders, creators, entrepreneurs, innovators, and changemakers who are paving the way for innovation on and off this planet that we call home. For today's episode, we've gathered three guests from our community, avid entrepreneur, philanthropist, and XPRIZE trustee, Paresh Galani, physician, scientist, inventor, entrepreneur, and chair of the XPRIZE Pandemic Alliance Task Force, Daniel Kraft, and Sonny Kohli, co-founder and chief medical officer at CloudDX, a co-winner of the $10 million Qualcomm Tricorder XPRIZE, and a Fast Company World Changing Idea finalist. Sunny, Paresh, Daniel, thank you for joining us on the show today. So it's almost the end of 2020 now, which is, uh, it's been a blur, but let's, let's take a trip back on this year. Uh, each of you have done amazing things in your work to be both innovative and to collaborate and ultimately to fight COVID-19. And I just want to start off with asking each of you what you were focused on before COVID hit and what you're doing now. And Paresh, let's start with you. Ashwami, great to be here. And, and, and thank you. Uh, thank you for doing this. Because I think uh, sharing some ideas and, and experiences of 2020, it's interesting because it's been a unexpected, but you know, very interesting year so far for everybody. Like, like you said, you know, 2020, you know, where did it go type, right? Um, uh, going back to beginning of the year, you know, everybody were optimistic about you know, 2020 being special, so on and so forth. And all of a sudden we hit with this unexpected, uh, Unexpected in the sense to, to see, you know, it hit all of a sudden and you find ourselves into this peculiar situation. What do we do now sort of thing? Initially, everybody is, is trying to, you know, be cautious and figure out what to do. But then at some time, you know, um, you know, this this global problem became sort of like, what do we need to do as a individual a citizen or an entrepreneur or any resources you may have? You, you take a look at and say, what can we do? when you're in the middle of pandemic, the world's actually coming to its knees. Um, what I was doing, particularly my personally, I just had come back from uh, uh, international travel and, and this restriction came all of a sudden to say, we're, you know, we're in a pandemic mode. Uh, prior to that, I was focused on, on doing a sort of a two-year journey into finding the molecules you know, in nature and purify them to the wellness of humanity. Uh, because I think 
we actually have abundance of nutraceutical values within the plants and, and nature molecules that we can actually extract them. If you have to extract them at the purification level to the purest level, we actually can do uh, good health and wellness and proactive. That was the journey and then looking at a disruptive way of also doing different things for the wellness perspective. And, and when pandemic hit, and everything came to screeching halt. So what do you do? Um, immediately figured out, you know, at least in a mindset to say, I'd rather be a part of solution or at least try to be part of solution, add to a solution, or, you know, can do something where I can help the, the situation, if any. Um, I went for soul searching, uh, me and my partner, and we were sitting on right in the middle of a, a uh, building out a large facility using our technology to uh, extract and, and purify the molecules and that we were familiar with the chemistry. We decided to retool, get on the flight, get in the in a plane, uh, get in the car, drive or whatever mode of transportation was available, get to the uh, farm, which is far away from two and a half hour drive from Chicago itself in a farmland at the ethanol plant where actually plant was there. Took the tools and started retooling the entire facility to address a very dire shortage uh, of hand sanitizer. It, it, it may look very short, I'm sorry, simple thing now, but at the time of need, uh, and the way we came to know how dire the situation was is my partner's two sons are actually emergency doctors. And when they actually said how terribly shortage of this you know, hand sanitizer supplies are in the market and to general public, it was dangerous level. Uh, and we felt that we have access to way about it knowledge we need to convert this you know, entire high nutraceutical value of factory into what is needed today. And we wanted to do it a very large scale. So we jumped in uh, within about a week or so, got all the permits, compliance, did everything we needed to. Luckily, we had engineers who was willing to drive all the way from California to this middle of Illinois uh, town called Galva, Illinois. We retooled, uh, reconfigured, got the permit safety because we're dealing with the hazardous material. We had unlimited well, ethanol. Uh, we converted and we converted our factory to produce literally in a very large scale. We were producing close to 50, 60,000 gallons per day. If you translate that into bottles, we actually did um, in millions. Uh, and our purpose was to start handing it out to the first responders hospitals, homeless, or people who don't have access or won't get an access because it became a very tough commodity and expensive commodity. Uh, our purpose was to, you know, make it, make it available, make it available safe, and also distribute it the best we can to uh, those, those who actually was helping us and being frontline for all of us. And that's what we did. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to get back to that, but I just want to comment for a second for our listeners because I remember talking to you in March yeah. And we're talking about a moment where, as, as you put it, the world is literally coming to its knees yeah. and people are scared. And you guys went and took this facility that you had been building out for very high end chemical products. Right. I yeah. mean, I think it was a, a sweetener, but a natural sweetener. Yeah. And you guys took this facility and completely converted it. And in a matter of weeks, got it online and producing hundreds of thousands of bottles per week, which I, or hundreds of thousands of gallons, which I think is absolutely remarkable. Uh, Daniel, I wanted to, to turn to you uh, before going back to some of the work that Paresh did in setting this up and, and just all the different pieces and, and talk to you. Cause you also, you, you, you know, you, you were commenting as, as we got online here 
uh, about how you've, you've never been busier when not traveling. So same question. What were you doing before the pandemic hit and, and how have you been uh, responding to it over these last, I guess at this point, almost nine months? Sure. I mean, well, one of the hats I've worn uh, for the last 10 years or so is, is chairing medicine for Singularity University and uh, founded and run a program called Exponential Medicine, which is really about how do we leverage fast moving technologies to address big challenges in healthcare from prevention to diagnostics to therapy to global health. So I've sort of been at this interesting interface of innovators and technologists and clinicians and healthcare systems um, and helping sort of catalyze the future. <laughs> and so uh, we could argue that um, that COVID has certainly been a catalyst uh, to the future. Um, you know, XPRIZE started with a uh, with the Ansari XPRIZE to get rockets into space. And, you know, before that, there was Sputnik, which certainly um, triggered the space age. And in some ways, COVID is, is um, enabling the, the health age. And so I've sort of blended sort of my, my past experience and networks uh, to sort of thinking about how do we uh, take a lot of the existing technologies and those that are coming together to accelerate solutions um, for this pandemic and to bring future ones. And was really lucky to be invited by Anusha Ansari, the CEO of XPRIZE, to chair the, uh, the what we put together in, in March was a XPRIZE Pandemic Alliance. And I've been chairing the task force for that, made up of some amazing uh, folks from, from Dean Kamen uh, to the chair of IDEO to the former uh, secretary for the Veterans Administration and many others. And the idea of the Pandemic Alliance is given all the needs from hand sanitizers to PPE to testing to developing vaccines to even at the time in March, April, like 3D printing ventilators. How do we like bring the collaborations and innovations from around the world, not to have a thousand flowers bloom, but to help catalyze some of the best ones and to help collaborate faster to address solutions? So through the XPRIZE Pandemic Alliance, we've ended up developing um, several new collaborations. We've launched several X prizes and X challenges we can talk about later. And so I sort of blended my um, role in sort of uh, converging, uh, uh, you know, technologies and people to, to, to do that specifically focused on the pandemic. And it's been a great, um, been a great ride. And, and I, I'm hopeful that the silver lining of, of the pandemic and part of the theme of this podcast are all the collaborations and cross-connective tissue that's been formed globally is not just going to accelerate solutions for this pandemic and prevent future ones, but help across the whole healthcare paradigm um, from from optimizing health health span and wellness to new forms of diagnostics to new forms of therapies and, and public health measures that will hopefully help save more lives than COVID ever takes. Yeah, it's one of the more remarkable things about seeing the way that, you know, for lack of a better word, humanity came together and, and the level of collaboration that people have engaged in. Uh, Sonny, if we could turn to you and, and I think also, especially starting with what cloud DX is, because, you know, some of our listeners are familiar with the Qualcomm Tricorder X prize, but I think hearing from you and, and hearing about the, the journey of cloud DX and what you guys have done over, over these last few months, I think is, is especially, uh, enlightening. Certainly, yeah. Shalomi, thanks for asking. So we came as a group of co-conspirators uh, inspired by the uh, 
Qualcomm Tricorder X Prize to build a tricorder that could diagnose, you know, up to 12 conditions at home and monitor all of your vital signs continuously in a cloud-based model, which you could subsequently apply um, machine learning and, and make diagnoses remotely and predict people's outcomes. This is long before we were talking about these concepts. Um, and so XPRIZE was certainly a, a launch pad for, for thinking about these things. And after we were blessed uh, and, and when, being one of the co-winners for the XPRIZE, we continued to sort of, despite being in the digital age and having an exponential technology, ironically, uh, the, well, the world wasn't ready for digital health yet. So we were incrementally uh, inching along. Um, most people think that our growth was exponential, but in fact, it was not. After the XPRIZE, it was still incremental. It was still slow. There was still a lot of adoption issues and process issues that needed to be worked out in healthcare for people to start adopting technologies like ours where we could remotely monitor people at home, keep them safe at home, keep them out of hospitals. So that was the mantra that we, from which we built our company after XPRIZE. And ironically, as, as Daniel so eloquently put it, uh, COVID was the Sputnik that really, it really changed everything. So we were a fringe digital health company uh, and now we're a forefront healthcare company. The word digital is no longer even in our DNA. Um, it's just a need. It's a necessity. And the pandemic has put us uh, literally in uh, front and center in terms of what organizational needs are. Um, and, and when you speak about collaboration, previously um, organizations and, and you know stakeholders that were loath to collaborate with an agency like ours because we we're still very fringe. Um, lack of funding, lack of interest, lack of uh, understanding. The pandemic changed all of that. I think once there was a cohesive understanding of what the benefit of a technology like ours and other healthcare companies doing virtual could be, and it was all because of the mass media proliferating the message of, hey, we could use virtual care, we can adopt virtual care. All of the initial misgivings we had about virtual care, forget about them, because right now the pros dramatically outweigh the cons. Suddenly we had all those stakeholders that were initially like, ah, thanks for reaching out, we'll contact you in a few years suddenly buzzing us saying, we need to set this up overnight. Um, and, you know, funding issues be damned, uh, regulatory issues, we'll work them out. So, and, and just to give you an example of that, uh, you know, we've been working uh, with institutions like, uh, you know, university and academic institutions to, to uh, validate our technologies, of which we have several, all geared towards keeping people safe at home and diagnosing and monitoring and treating them remotely. Uh, in very small-scale clinical studies, because as Daniel will point out, Paresh will tell you, to set up a large-scale clinical study takes a lot of work. It's human's work, a lot of funding. And I'm talking overnight, a 1,000-patient clinical trial was set up across nine hospitals in Canada, taking the highest-risk patients. Every possible um, principle that I had come to the table with over 10 years of being in this industry take, you know, start with low hanging fruit, take low risk patients, do small clinical studies, deploy quickly. Don't, don't, don't shoot for the moon. We shot for the moon. We took the highest risk patients who underwent the most highest risk surgeries, sent them home early on the devices, did a randomized control trial with 1000 patients and pulled it off from start to finish. We've actually completed the data collection, monitoring these people at home for 30 days and the data is about to be published in in a premier uh, research journal. So uh, that's just one example of, you know, the, the industry just flipped on its head and everybody's thinking change and collaboration just became the norm. And it used to be a struggle to get people, frankly, to collaborate at a level where you could really move the needle. 
Um, and you all understand what I mean by that. Yeah, that's that's amazing, Daniel. Well, I was going to say, as Sunny mentioned, we sort of you know shifted a bit from incremental medicine towards exponential medicine, and a lot of it you can have the best you know innovations and in technologies like like Cloud DX or Cloud Medics and others, um, but they need to fit within the incentives. And one of the big shifts has occurred, obviously, is to virtualize care from hospital to home or hospital to hospital, which is being enabled by by Sunny's technology. Um, but as was mentioned, you need to have the regulators enabling this and, and the payments. And one of the things that happened, at least you know, in the U.S., is uh, the HIPAA restrictions were relaxed, meaning the rules for could we do a Skype-based call or FaceTime or Zoom and actually not be a, a privacy um, uh, val- invalidated uh, process. And also the payment models shifted. So HIPAA was relaxed, so you could talk to your clinician on your smartphone, and payment models for virtual visits opened up. So uh, you know the 4,000% increase in, in the spring in virtual visits could help uh, be uh, reimbursed. So it, it's the pairing of technology innovation with often the incentives and the regulations, which have also been uh, accelerated in this in this time window. Paresh, I think you have an interesting uh, example of this, of because oftentimes we think of collaboration as either within a company or across companies, but both Sonny and, and Daniel, you're pointing out to the importance of collaboration between business and government in getting things done. And Paresh, you're, you're you know, you're converting a, a plant that is focused on creating Zane protein into using ethanol to create hand sanitizer, which, you know, so can you talk a little bit also about how you drove that collaboration with, with uh, the federal government and, and things that you did to pull that off as well? Yeah, I mean, and I think, I think uh, like, you know, like uh, Daniel and uh, uh, Zani said, I mentioned, right? There, there was a lot of all of a sudden, because of the need or pandemic or something, things people were opened up to say, oh, I think, can we do this? And, and, and I think we can. And then they opened up to say, yes, you know, let's, let's give, it, give it an open possibility. And then they moved pretty quickly. In our, our case, you know, obviously, uh, believe it or not, uh, uh, hand sanitizer is actually over-the-counter drug. It's an OTC, right? So there is a there is a you know a lot of requirements that comes in. FDA was a proactive to say, listen, we're going to relax a little bit of uh, you know things that we used to always ask for OTC. We'll relax it you know under this guidance. The moment you want to do something, but then there's a lot more to it, especially when you do a large scale. You know, if it's a smaller operation, uh, you know, there's, you you can actually get away with a lot of things. But for us, it was a very large operation. Safety was a paramount. Make sure safety of the product as well as people and the plants, right? And that requires a lot of the hazardous materials handling permissions to you know government authorities to say yes, you can allow use the ethanol at that level and actually make the sanitizer and keep tab of it. That you actually safety where actually everybody has to come and actually approve it. Which what would take EPA for example or the or the tobacco bureaus, uh, the TTB, Department of Revenue for Taxation, all of this FDAs and stuff, would, what would take probably about six months to about a year, we actually got it done about two weeks to get us operated up and running in a right and converting the plant into a safe manner, getting somebody out there, engineers who are actually collaborating on the private industry to talk about, getting them out there and repiping certain things. And now you have to pipe it in a very safe manner as well. So everybody collaborating, coming out together, although our pandemic was going on, you know, it, it, it really, humanity came together, like you said. And, and then we looked as, as, you know, it's a call of duty. I mean, we are sitting on an access to ethanol where world actually doesn't have. So that actually led me to, you know, think about a lot more. I'm not far from manufacturing. I'm from a tech world, as you know, right? And I love technology. I love exponential technology. And I was chasing the, 
the digital exponential technology anyways. This is what we were looking at. It, and I happened to walk into nutraceutical value. I think there's a, a nature molecule has a lot wellness you know, to it, which also now under pandemic actually has become extremely well aware and actually has spiked up quite a bit. People are looking at immunity as actually main thing. Most, not many people thought about it, but the people are taking proactive the vitamins, the supplements and everything. Those became a lot more important as well. So that world is growing. So that's going to help us going forward, go back when we go back to our, our nutraceutical and the nature molecules anyways. And, and so these are the things, all of a sudden people are a lot more aware of environment, you know, that we need to take care of. So that's also part of falls in, falls in the uh, 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 government authorities to actually allow you to do those things. I think it's going to help overall quite a bit um, when we talk about how do we actually get things done, which would have taken so many years? Uh, can we actually get it done and exponentially in a faster way? I think that has changed fundamentally for everything, what we experience along with it. But I think the mindset should change and will change you know, based on what the results they say. That's absolutely true. And, and Sunny, what you have been able to pull off with Cloud DX over these last few months is really tying together these two threads that that Daniel and Paresh are pulling on, which is one, it's there is this purpose-driven, mission-driven notion to what the business should be accomplishing and, and this vision that goes beyond just, I'm here to make a buck. At the same time, there's an alignment of incentives that allows it to happen. But I think also, and what all three of you have, have shown is You've got to you've got to be open to it, right? So, Sonny, you're talking about kind of you you guys suddenly were were in a position to pull off something that would normally take years, and Paresh the same, and you pulled it off at the snap of a finger. And I think that requires, you know, really. I mean, we at XPRIZE we, we we've been saying recently that collaboration is the superpower of the 21st century. But I think collaboration only goes so as far as the actors involved in it want to take it. So, Sonny, I, I want to hear more from you about the story of, you know, you're talking about not just like, hey, this is a new thing, but you guys are pushing an idea that is that is scary to people, right? You guys took a big risk in saying, let's go with the most difficult uh, cases and and take those on. So can you can you go a little deeper into that story and, and how how you guys approached it and your mindset around it? Certainly, yeah. Um, it took a lot of getting on a soapbox saying, this can be done. We did it before under tight timelines with the XPRIZE tricorder competition. We've been through a pandemic before, ironically. It was just a theoretical one, but we had similar timelines, similar impossible missions to, to conquer. And so it took a lot of handholding. And, and you talked about repurposing Parish's factory, for example. Daniel repurposing his entire life to chair the pandemic lines like and i can only imagine what kind of changes in his workflow took place well repurposing had to take place at every level and shlomi you hit the nail on the head when you talked about actors so here's an example um, so we, we uh, our technology, of course, is software based. So there's an application that the patient and the clinician can use, and it's entirely downloadable on your iPhone store, or your Android store. But there's also hardware. So we made our software completely free and available for doctors to start using. And give an example of that. And you know, Daniel put 
it uh, earlier. He talked about incremental. We were in an incremental industry and then some of those incentives changed. Well, even prior to the incentives changing, there was just fundamental need. Doctors wanted to reach out to their patients. We're sitting at home going, what the heck is going on? I need help and I can't see you. And, and we have over 150 doctors invested in our own company. And I hate to admit this publicly, but we had one person using our platform in a clinically meaningful way prior to the pandemic because there really wasn't a need. And suddenly this need comes along and the actors, the doctors saying, you know what, I have to do this. I'm going to learn this platform. I'm going to use it even if I don't get paid. I'll figure out the pay thing will come later. I'm sure the government will make me whole. But for now, I just need to do this for, for humanity's sake. There's one example. In setting up the clinical trials to monitor those thousand high-risk patients, we're like, where are we going to get the funding to get the nurses to monitor these people remotely? No hospital has that kind of funding, especially during the pandemic when funds were being repurposed for PPE and ventilators, etc. Well, the OR nurses stepped up saying, hey, we're sitting around doing nothing. OR nurses will do the monitoring. We'll watch these patients when they go home for 30 days. We'll set up a call schedule so they're being monitored 24 hours a day. So a bunch of OR nurses stepped up and started doing the monitoring. Um, another example, the, those that are in the clinical world said, hey, we love your Vitality wear, neck wearable that won the X Prize for being a tricorder, but dude, it's very expensive. Like, how is this going to move the needle for a pandemic when we need to produce this en masse for millions of people? Well, guess what? Even the actors on the other side of the fence had to change their thinking. We as a company had to say, you know what, scrap the idea of creating this next generation wearable that costs thousands, completely rethink how we do this. So we started uh, completely repurposing our, our wearable to make it worth 25 bucks or less. And we got funding from the government. We won an award for a low-cost sensor challenge. In fact, our previous plan was to create the, the, the supply chains and the manufacturing and do so with partnerships in China. Well, because of supply chain issues, the pandemic revealed them and all of the problems with you know, getting materials from overseas to North America. Um, uh, the Canadian government said, hey, we're going to give you funding to do this locally and manufacture it on in, in Canada and Ontario. So we applied for that funding and we were lucky to get it. So government actors, the, the entrepreneurial actors, the clinical actors all had to reshape their thinking. So now here we are nine months into this and we are, uh, we've built a, a low cost sensor that's less than 25 bucks with the aid of the federal government. We're going to manufacture it locally. These things are inconceivable to me. A year ago, if you said to me, your Vitality Tricorder wearable is going to be built in Ontario for 25 bucks. I would think you're absolutely stark raving mad. And now here we are nine months later and we're doing it. You mentioned this, this idea of repurposing your, you know, a, a factory, your life and your business. And Daniel, you mentioned the pandemic lines, right? This, this thing that really the, the origin story is kind of crazy. It was Anthem. <laughs> I think like uh, Maria at Anthem called us up. Uh, called Susan, one of my colleagues here at XPRIZE on a Saturday and said, what are we going to do? How do we solve this? And there were all these organizations that came together. And I think, Daniel, you know, you, you talked about being part of it, but really you have been an instrumental force in getting those, those stakeholders and these organizations and a lot of the thought leaders thinking about how they can take the things that they already do and apply them in this situation collaboratively, not just apply them as like, here's my company doing its thing, or here's my organization doing this thing, but how do I open myself up to that? So can you share a little bit more about your, your mindset in doing that, your mentality in doing that, and how you made it happen? 
you know, one of the amazing things about the Pandemic Alliance, it is an alliance of sometimes unlikely uh, folks. I mean, we've got Anthem who helped lead the charge and we brought in other big players from IBM to Intel's uh, to Microsoft uh, to small startups um, doing digital health or diagnostics or um, uh, the Illuminas of the world, um, as well as NGOs and universities from MIT to UCLA. So folks were now cross-fertilizing and what we, what we do often every twice a month or so, what we call jams, joint action meetings around a particular pain point around the pandemic. It might be around mental health or a recent one on long COVID, the long-term sequelae that many patients are suffering and how uh, we might uh, blend new forms of diagnostics and um, ways to identify and help prevent that, uh, or new ways to help distribute uh, and accelerate uh, testing or vaccines. One, sh one very recent example um, would be uh, around the idea of testing's evolving. Um, I'll mention more about our testing XPRIZE, as well as vaccines are quickly, hopefully arriving. There's gonna be the need to identify who's been tested negative and who's been vaccinated. And in our task force, we have the CEO of, of the Commons Project, as well as the chair of IDEO. And we started talking about some of the projects each were doing. And from that launched a new project called Common Pass, which is essentially a digital yellow card, so that when you uh, have tested negative and you're about to fly across the world or the country, that data can be linked to your boarding pass or your eventually your passport, or could show you've been tested negative and you can walk into a Starbucks for a school. And when vaccines emerge, it will be able to enable you to be digitally registered that you've been, let's say, vaccinated and are, again, hopefully safe to travel. So those are forms of groups that may not have interacted that came together, saw a pain point and solved it collaboratively. Um, and then the, the the largest one that came together has been the, the, the key need particularly a major failure in the United States has been testing. It's been expensive, it's not been easy to get done, it takes off in days to get results. And uh, together with Jeff Huber, the founder of uh, Open COVID Screen, uh, we launched a $5 million XPRIZE around rapid testing. The idea that it should be fast, ideally under an hour or two, frequent, so you can be tested every day or two, uh, easy, you didn't need a nurse or a doctor to administer it, um, and inexpensive, less than let's say $5. And, uh, we launched that prize quickly, Anthem again being the sort of anchor sponsor, and uh, had 707 teams from, I think, seven, 77 countries apply to, uh, to initially uh, uh, enter the competition. We're now down to the final 200, and those are being narrowed to 20, and we'll have our five winners in uh, January. And then those solutions can hopefully be scaled. So uh, to really make an impact around rapid COVID testing, but eventually those platforms could be used for screening for the flu or other infectious or viral entities. And um, as an example of collaboration, new partners coming together, both to come up with and instigate, let's say prizes, but also to fund them, and then also to support the teams as they move through the process and, and scale to impact. You're pointing to this, but the way that different actors also said some of this stuff needs to be done within the alliance, some of it like like common pass needs to be, let's take Alliance members, move outside of it and do this work together and then come back. You know, I mean, I, I presume I, I wasn't born in the United States, so I'm used to having my, my yellow vaccine card. You know, I, I have an actual scar from, uh, from the tuberculosis vaccine, which I don't think Americans have, but you know, it's, it's one of those things that like looking at, um, how, these collaborations were multifaceted and how organizations brought whatever they could bring in and pull that off. And the openness to that, um, I think has been remarkable. Paresh, I remember 
when, when we spoke, I think it was in March, right? You talked because I think it, one of the things is also setting the vision so that other people understand what collaboration could look like. And you did something that not like, yes, you addressed the hand sanitizer shortage. But, you know, if, if you recall, March was a time when we had unprecedented job losses, like the worst week in 2009. I mean, we forget about this, right? We, we don't even talk about this. We are still week over week having more job losses than we had during the worst week of the 2008-2009 recession. And Paresh, you, you thought about this. And, and I, if you can share this with, with our listeners, I think the, the approach that you took, not just to solving this, this hand sanitizer shortage, but thinking about how to make sure that the community around your plant was economically stable, I think, you know, is, a, is an example for, for everybody to hear about. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, you know, speaking uh, in, in March, uh, mid-March, when everything was, you know, come crashing down and we talked about it. And I, obviously, we wanted to know what XPRIZE and what we can do to collectively. And we talked about pandemic. We talked about, you know, launching the predictive modeling, you know, price and things that sort. So I know that I know we as an XPRIZE family, we were already thinking about doing something. But there was a lot of smart folks like Daniel and everybody were chasing already, right? As an individually, what I thought it was, what can I do particularly? you know, myself as physically now, because I'm not the one who's going to sit and locked up just because it just my personality doesn't allow me to. And it be, you know, time of crisis, you know, this is when you want to take a leadership to say, let's, it's okay, we will be all okay so long we do something together. But, you know, it takes a little bit of a courage to say, you know what, I want to get up and do something. So when I looked at it, I said, okay, what can we do to address now, today's situation? What are the situations, right? Obviously, PPE was one of the largest, you know, some people who work in the front line, we would never imagine sitting home to see what they go through. And I felt like, you know what, if I actually have an opportunity to do, help out something where I need to go out and get out and do something physically, like I said, I was not into manufacturing, but I knew I had an asset who actually could be useful. So I decided to say, called my engineers and said, are they willing to support my partner, Dr. Neil Oscar? He's actually, you know, the, the amazing scientists, you know, innovators. He, you know, being in his age, he still said, yes, Joe, let's, we got to do this, you know? So call of duty for, you know, for lack of a better word, I said, we have to do something. I, remember, I still remember getting on the flight end of March, you know, nobody. I mean, I was the only person on the flight and people look at you funny. Seriously, I mean, when you're walking in, nobody's at the airport, you look at you funny, you get in the car, meaning I didn't even, couldn't rent the car. So I had to actually have my family dropped it off outside, you know, uh, somewhere where I can get in without anything. My two engineers actually drove from California to Galva, Illinois, taking whatever stops they can. Everybody looked at each other funny, but what it was that I wanted to do something that actually makes a humanity, which I learned a lot as well along the way, right? I wanted to make sure that we have courage and we're not, this is not, you know, end of the world, at least it may look like it, but wanted to get up and say, you know what, Let's physically go out and do something. Help who is helping us. You know, let them also know that we're not alone in this and whatever I can do. So that journey me journey left me, you know, got, led me to farm, you know, farmland in, in cornfield of uh, Illinois. And going there every day, motel, you're trying to find a room. Nobody's in the motel. You know, you're literally alone. No food, things are closed. So you bring your food from home type uh, and you go out. And in the process, I knew whoever came in, they appreciated having a job, and here's here's the here's the uh, realization I had that during those times everybody was losing a job, but they were also losing what is going to happen. The the uh, 
sort of uh, panic was kicking in. You know, at that time when you advertise and say we're actually hiring and we want to hire people locally or in the small towns, it was so well received and so well appreciated. And that kind of gave me more courage to say I need to do more, kind of expanded our operation further down to keep hiring as best we can, as many as we can in a safe manner. And that's what we did. I learned a lot, uh, realized the entire, what Sonny mentioned, this entire supply chain uh, issue that we as an America face, which I don't think we should have ever done that. But I think this pandemic has taught us a lot. Started thinking about supply chain, you know, the produced product, produced it right in America and by American labor force, manufactured, world competitive costing and at the volume that we would never actually run into ourselves in the problem again. Um, there are multiple supply chains we can address now, pharmaceutical, what we're chasing, the API. So that's taught, gave me an entire different vision or actually realization that what we actually have and where we actually might be weak uh, gave me courage. I'm looking at the entire wide cycle of API, drug supplies, the critical supplies. We right in America, we should not be dependent waiting for another pandemic. So that realization, if I look at it, I have learned more in the last nine months than I've ever learned in about 15, 20 years. So personal growth along with it, you know, and people who work really hard, I have a lot of different appreciation of manufacturing folks, you know, I, I want to continue to do to create more jobs. I mean, you made this commitment to produce something that at the time there was a lot of price gouging, right? I mean, I remember this story of, of somebody hoarding hand sanitizer and you made a commitment to actually sell it at pre-pandemic prices, which I think is also, it's it's one of those uh, acts of leadership that um, that we we need, especially in the time of crisis. We wanted to donate first to actually help out people who couldn't afford a small hospital, couldn't afford, you know, give it to the the prices people are gouging it. I've I've seen I've seen people selling selling gallon at fifty nine dollars, a hundred dollars, hundred twenty nine dollars. Joke, yeah, you know, you should never be do that. You know, they should not be allowed to do so. I made a commitment. We made a commitment to say pre pre COVID price. Never, never gouged it, gave out quite a bit as a part of the donation. But when we did start charging, it was a pre-COVID price. That was a commitment we kept us. So we're, we're talking about collaboration. And the thing about XRISE is that to a certain extent, we, we are built on the belief that both competition and collaboration drive innovation, right? Anusha, our CEO, likes to call it a, it, likes to call our prizes co-opetitions. Um, but there's a tension, right, between competition and collaboration. Sonny, starting with you, how do you, in your own team and in your own work, foster an environment that both encourages collaboration and competition in a healthy way? Both encourages collaboration and competition. I, I like that. Um, here's an example, um, yet another example. Uh, I wouldn't call it rival companies, but companies doing things similar to what you're doing, uh, operating in a similar space that, you know, you could con conceivably are competition because they often compete for the same projects that you're competing for. Suddenly in, a, in an environment like this saying, hey, you have one piece of the puzzle. We have one piece of the puzzle. Let's do this. And let's do this in a wholesome way. Let's dramatically reduce our price. Let's offer a superior product. Let's solve this problem for humanity. And the profit will work itself out down the road. And that thinking, it, it, it involves a lot of risk from your CFO, your marketing people. Uh, it takes a lot. You're like, we're taking a leap of faith here that we're going we're gonna to be made whole here and we're not going to be left with a big bill and we're not going to all be bankrupt. 
Um, we took that leap of faith with companies like Coratio, which has a peer-to-peer -peer network for people suffering from all sorts of illnesses. It allows them to connect with people sharing a similar uh, journey uh, online in a way that's safe and they can share their stories and pick up feedback and tools and just you know support each other. It's very therapeutic. Um, we collaborate with them uh, to, to, to solve the, uh, the problem that Daniel referred to, the COVID-19 long hauler issue. There's been a lot of attention focused on the immediate needs for COVID. Now, as we move on in the pandemic, there's a whole new host of problems that all of the innovators and stakeholders in the world in healthcare have to start wrapping their head around. And that's the COVID-19 long hauler issue. So we decided to create a, 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 a community for them where they could get valuable information that's been vetted. It's reliable information. It's still social media, but it's been thoroughly vetted. They, they get uh, you know one on one with co health coaches and, and, and clinicians working with them. And all of this is free. And then, of course, there's some paid services like social workers and things like that they can pay extra for. And, and in a platform that allows them to, 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 to learn more about their COVID-19 long hauling illness and on the fly in real time understand well, what the what the what the expectations are in terms of the recovery what are the knowns and their unknowns and in a very safe environment so there's an example of you know collaborating with someone who previously would we would have regarded as a competitor and in another example this is one that's close to home x prize UCSD and the Roddenberry Foundation funded one of our post x prize impact projects with the cough analysis application we were focusing on creating a smartphone application to diagnose TB using cough analysis uh, uh, alone um, in Mozambique, funded by these agencies working with the uh, Ministry of Health in Mozambique. And we were focused entirely on TB. And when the pandemic came along, we're like, oh, we got to shut this project down. It's unsafe. COVID's starting to rear its ugly head in Mozambique. We can't put people in harm's way. Well, once they figured that out, all the stakeholders from the people collecting the coughs on the ground floor all the way to the principal investigators, including Eric Veery, et cetera, at UCSD. My co-founders, Robert Call, Anthony Call, said, let's focus on COVID. And now here we are collecting costs for COVID and, and, and validating algorithms that can diagnose COVID-19 remotely. And you talk about a collaboration competition. There's other groups in the world solving the same problem. I don't view that as a threat. I think the more people working on a problem, it just validates that the problem you're working on is the right problem. I'd say that's a great example of um, leveraging a certain form of data, in this case, uh, the sound of a cough and determining whether that's COVID or common cold or the flu uh, or TB. Um, and that, I think one of the, the engines of innovation, particularly in the setting of the coronavirus is data and often um, connecting the dots between data sets and data forms, because often there hasn't been a lot of collaboration. You know, one medical record uh, in, in one system or hospital or pharma company uh, doesn't talk to another. And um, one of the things we try to do with the Pandemic Alliance is, is actually unleash some of that data. We have a, um, a data repository. Uh, you can go to data.xprize.org and take a look at the publicly available ones, and others are available to Alliance members. Um, We've also have a bit of a, a COVID marketplace where you can share your ideas, whether it's about how to improve PPE or um, uh, solve for uh, testing or vaccine distribution. And a lot of that is going to be driven by different forms of data sets coming together and, and, and being unleashed. So uh, a big plug for all of us being data donors. I was like to use the example of, of Google Maps and Waze. Uh, you know, we can't imagine, you know, 15 years ago, we drove with paper maps. Now we use... Google Maps and ways to get around. We're all sharing pretty private data, our speed and location, but it gives us a better map of our journey. In the same setting, we can start to do that for health and for mitigating disease. And hopefully one of the, again, silver linings that will come out of this is more of a, a bit of a global 
pandemic uh, uh, sensor where we're able to crowdsource cross borders to pick up you know early signs of epidemics before they become pandemics, and that's going to create uh, new forms of information and learning uh, across the entire sort of global health spectrum. Just to add to that, I really, I, I'm glad you said that collaboration and competition can they coexist, and I think can that I think I think. Um, it's amazing. I think what 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 uh, X Prize and Daniel Group are doing actually it's really collaborating, and then even the competition comes together. And like Shoni mentioned, right? You know, one of his, you know, competition potentially actually came in and worked together. I think I think it's a beautiful thing, and I always believe in united you stand, divided you kind of you know suffer. So competition is not really dividing; it does 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 bring the best out of you. But I think collaborating with at the right source and right where we both can grow, I think is a beautiful thing. And I think the world might be opening up a lot more than before ever. So, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's a great point. But at the same time, you guys, to some extent are talking about collaboration, both as this kind of feel good humanistic endeavor, but also a business imperative, right? Because in this interconnected world, it's more important than ever that businesses, Sonny, you, you gave a perfect example of this. This isn't, collaboration helps your business grow. It helps you accomplish more. Also, because yes, there's the, the social purpose, or, or in this case, the fighting the pandemic purpose, but there is a there really is a level of collaboration that helps businesses grow. And, and Paresh, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that and then go around this virtual table um, in terms of hearing the, the perspectives from the others. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. You know, when I say, when I meant to say it's a beautiful thing, it's beautiful in, even in business or personal, you know, it's actually collaborating at the right folks and, and, and you can always improve more. The crowdsourcing is a great example of, and, 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 what Daniel said, I think the maps are a great collaborative way without being feel threatened that actually people will come to know. It's a great example. More we do, more better we'll get. Our innovation will actually come better. I personally have agreed, you know, learned that collaborating with actually somebody who might throw a scene as a you know, competition, we have learned to grow things we do today. It's much faster than I would do otherwise on my own. And not necessarily I'm threatening. Now, actually, world opens up, the demand opens up as well as the use opens up. So they're technically speaking, I'm not really losing anything. All I'm is gaining and I'm gaining quick. So collaboration is a beautiful thing, personally, as well as business-wise. The deeper you go, more collaborative, more research you share, more data you share, the better the product comes and that become, creates a competition by itself for you to become better. So it drives your competition and makes you better just by collaborating and competing in, in, in a sort of friendly manner. I would say, um, you know, certainly uh, collaboration and competition is synergistic. You know, uh, you know, Peter Diamandis says the, the biggest uh, challenges are the biggest business opportunities. But we also have to take some, you know, learnings from all of this. You can have all the data shared in the world, but unless it's utilized uh, in the right framework, uh, let's say by a governor or by a certain uh, state, uh, it might be a bit of a so what. Um, one of the great, another endeavor that came out of this Alliance is the C19 Explorer, which is a sort of a data platform anybody can use. And there's also versions for governments to 
look at the data and utilize that to figure out how do you safely open up, whether it's schools or when do you need to shut down or what might the impact of a certain intervention or, or policy uh, be. Um, and certainly, if we're in 2020, we've just had an election, we're speaking now in the middle of November, it's a pretty dark day, uh, as a quarter million Americans have died and more than a million around the world, and uh, we're on an uprise, um, meaning cases are exploding almost exponentially. So we have a lot to still learn that hopefully will um, form better collaborations. Uh, there's an infodemic on top of the pandemic, and some of that is driven by uh, red versus blue tribalism here in the U.S. So I think we need to look at our, both our successes and the collaborations that have occurred, but also where we have um, barriers and, and mindset challenges um, if we're going to really uh, tackle uh, this and prevent uh, some of the bad outcomes we've seen uh, in 2020 in the future. No, it is sobering, right? Because as as incredible as some of the work has been, and as um, heartwarming as it's been to to see some of this, you also I I read uh, an article today with a with a nurse who said that she has patients denying that they are suffering from COVID because they have so bought into the idea that this is a hoax. So there's a, there's a scary thing that is happening, you know, that um, we also have to, to dig into. Sonny, you wanted to say something? Uh, just to validate that thought, um, uh, without divulging too many personal details, uh, I'm caring for patients with COVID-19 and my intensive care unit, which as Daniel pointed out, is, uh, is experiencing a second wave. Unfortunately, we, we, I guess we didn't learn our lessons the first go around and, um, and now here we are with pandemic number two. And despite that, uh, on the phone with a loved one who literally told me verbatim as their loved one is dying and clinging to life on a ventilator, come on, we both know COVID's a scam. What's really going on, doctor? And I was dumbfounded. I dumbfounded, but yeah. And so I think we almost need a, a, a an X prize for Kumbaya. Just yeah, we do. we do. Um, Can you work on that, Daniel, at the next Pandemic Alliance meeting? Um, the infodemic, truthfully, jokes aside, that would be another problem that we, you know, the Pandemic Alliance should consider solving because um, it's certainly one that's interfering with the delivery of good health care. I, I would love to, on that note, to actually X-Prize us launch a prize to say anything you say or said actually gets fact-checked instantly and, and actually gets verified who you are and so yeah. But facts don't matter. We're in the alternative facts universe. And, and given that there's not just the infodemic, but um, we have, even before this, the anti-vax movement, and we've seen the rise of, let's say, measles, which is clearly preventable and other and infectious diseases. Uh, and now we have sort of a, a, because of some of the news cycles and, and uh, schisms, a bunch of folks who have sort of vaccine resistance, even if a vaccine comes out, as we're hoping in early to mid-December this year, if none of those folks take it uh, and trust, let's say, the FDA or the regulatory bodies, uh, that's a huge challenge. So I think there's a lot of, again, amazing things that have happened, amazing collaborations. I mean, maybe we need to start, you know, quote unquote, reaching across the aisle, understanding people who have different perspectives, but also understand that, that truth and science and, and public health measures um, really do matter and uh, and not leave it to politicians. I mean, I, I agree in collaboration. Talk about a collaboration on, on the mindset, right, of people just as general decision makers, right? That would be amazing. I mean, I don't want to sound alarmed, but we all know Daniel will agree to it. I mean, let's let's take a look at this actually as a training wheels, you know, to learn, because, you know, if you think that, you know, it's going to be ever pandemic, of course, it's going to be. You know, just hope that it's not, you know, glad that it wasn't as, as lethal as it could have been, you know, as, as far as the 
a fatal as it can be for like you know, other previous one hasn't hasn't spread that much. I mean, but don't wait for another one because there will be one. So if we can, as long as we can learn, collaborate, and actually trust each other, and America should never find itself into the way it found. I mean, we talk about PPE, mask or gloves and sanitizer. We have to beg people for it. I mean, for God's sake, America should never. So hopefully the decision makers and governing authorities and, and, and bodies learn and, and to collaborate and actually be prepared for the next one if there is one and it will be one eventually. But, you know, we need to learn a lot. America as, as the country who we are found ourselves dumbfound in, and, 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 and suffered for it uh, because of the entrepreneurs like Daniels, Sonny and everybody. We're collecting ourselves, actually going out and supporting and rising back and we will rise back. But um, I just I just hope that we all learn a lot and collaborate further to you know prepare ourselves for further. I think you're pointing to the ultimate form of collaboration, which is one that allows people to to get past their prejudices and to to start thinking about the collective good, right? Because that's one of the things that we've seen with the pandemic alliance and, and that I've just seen across the board over these last nine months is the extent to which people put aside, you know, and, and Sonny, you really like you, I think you really captured it as you collaborated with your with companies that normally you would think of as competitors. And I think part of that is just a, a, a mentality in the way that you approach life. But it also is um, it's one of those things that when you recognize that there's something more important than whatever tribe you're in. Um, and I think, you know, Daniel, you, you talked about the anti-vax movement, but there are also people who value vaccines and believe they're important. And I read a report this morning that there's an estimated 9 million doses of vaccinations for children that are not going to get administered because of the pandemic, because people are missing uh, doctor's appointments and and just the repercussions of that, right? And, you know, when you, when you start thinking about data and information and, and recognizing that it's not just the it's not just COVID-19 on its own. It's all the repercussions of it from the economy to health to, you know, potentially deaths of despair that will come out of the massive wave of unemployment that we're facing. Um, you know, Sonny, you're, you're up in Canada, but here, here in the U.S., the, the response has been uh, sadly lacking. Yeah, just on, on your point, I mean, not just missing vaccinations, but folks who missed getting their screening colonoscopies and might develop colon cancer that could have been prevented or, or uh, mammograms, uh, you know, primary care elements. And also one big element, we've addressed this a bit with the, the pandemic alliance is, you know, the social determinants. We see particularly in the U.S. huge disparities, let's say African-Americans who uh, have a much higher propensity for not only getting COVID but dying of it, often because they have underlying conditions since they've had disparities of access to, to good public and, and basic health measures. Um, so again, one of the hopefully bright spots is we're going to better... Um, understand the disparities and address them in, 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 in new ways going forward and also recognizing where the, the biases are and the, the tribalism and the infodemic pieces so that we can almost inoculate or vaccinate uh, our mindsets going forward with smart education, um, you know, getting Fox News to have a similar message as CNN, for example, because there was actually data around Fox News viewers having a higher rate of, of COVID based on the information they're getting early on or misinformation. Um, so not to get political here, but I think politics is local, but pandemics are global. And so we need to think about this as a, in a global way. And part of the magic of the XPRIZE is it's international. Again, 70 teams from uh, 70 countries represented in our, in our rapid COVID 
uh, XPRIZE competition. And um, some of the tools that come out, let's say a rapid COVID test will be useful for doing rapid uh, flu testing or other elements uh, are going to tie together with, with uh, you know, CloudDX going forward. So a lot of uh, bright spots uh, are going to come from the dark ones. We're talking about all this collaboration, and yet the, the four of us are on Zoom. Um, Paresh, you were talking about being the only person at the airport, the only person in a motel. Daniel, all this stuff that has happened with the Pandemic Alliance, it has been entirely virtual. People have not been meeting face-to-face. And I know, you know, I, in my experience, I've, I have never spent as much time on the computer as I have spent in the last nine months because my job is to talk to people. And suddenly, all my conversations are, are, are video conferences. How has this, to a certain extent, this kind of... The, the combination of social distancing, but, you know, the, the rise of, you know, either it's remote healthcare or remote work or all this, how has that changed the, the types of collaborations that you guys have seen, but also the way that you've thought about how to collaborate with other organizations? Do you think that this is, I mean, at least for me, I have felt that there was initially this temporary shift, like, oh my God, people have never been more willing to get on a phone call with you to almost a, hopefully a lasting shift of a willingness to, you know, the the types of collaborations that you guys are pointing to, in your words, Daniel, becoming bright spots and carrying on beyond this. So I I wanted to, Sonny, start with you and get your thoughts on that, how this has changed. I know you're also, you're seeing patients, so it's not like your entire world is is virtual, but um, understanding from you how this remote age or this remote uh, era of 2020 has, has changed the way that you think about collaboration? Oh, I, I, that's such a great question. And building on Daniel's uh, point, so I'll, I'll, I'll tie in his, his discussion of social disparities and that other, uh, you know, um, thing that's plaguing society, the tribalism, et cetera, et cetera, and tie this into the collaboration concept. To be honest, I'm just one voice of a, of a village of enablers. And, and just to, to, in your point, Shlomi, it's not a village of enablers. I shall redact that statement. It's a Zoom call of enablers. <laughs> you know, I'm just but one voice. It takes the entire Zoom call virtual village to make this happen. And, and up in Canada now, speaking of tribalism, we've been spared for it for the most part. But now in, actually in my own community, the South Asian community, people of Indian descent, we call ourselves Indo-Canadians and, and, and those that identify as being South Asian uh, many of whom uh, do work supply chains, uh, do frontline working, you know, working at, at our coffee shops, et cetera, doing, driving the trucks, uh, making sure our stocks are shelled in our grocery stores. In fact, in that community, uh, that the levels of COVID-19 are the highest. Um, and it's and some of our red zones in, in Canada where districts are shut down because their hospitals are overrun, it tends to be overrun with South Asian patients. So there's this new um, um, discrimination that's being, a uh, swell of discrimination is occurring in our country against people of South Asian descent as being the ones that are carrying COVID. And they're, and they're being blamed for that, not because of their, the, what they're doing to benefit society in terms of driving the trucks and doing all the work that no one will do, uh, but because we're hoarding because of Diwali or we're getting together 
together at our religious and cultural centers. And we're coexisting as large families, extended families in our homes. And that's the reason why we're spreading COVID-19 like wildfire. Not because of all of those other very, very valid reasons. Not because we have a preponderance of comorbidity that puts us at risk. Not because they live in chronically underfunded areas from a healthcare perspective. So I just jumped on a virtual call uh, with cross-specialty, with physicians, nurses, dietitians, physiotherapists, social workers, predominantly of Indo-Canadian descent, uh, to create a task force to solve this problem, um, to really dispel some of the myths that are being perpetuated in the media about our community, to help educate our own community to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And this would have been inconceivable a year ago to get together. We would have wanted to meet formally in a, in a room. Uh, healthcare professionals like to do that, meet in an auditorium or a conference room. And now here we are. And the, and the thing about that virtual collaboration, that Shalomi, I see you smiling. I wish people could see that smile. It's so genuine. But to, 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 to speak to that, um, one thing I've noticed with the Zoom call or the Microsoft Teams calls is it breaks down barriers. Because when your dog barks in the background or your kid comes crawling up to you, um, it really, there's something about it. It just breaks down a lot of barriers and you can, you, you can resonate with that person. You're like, I'm living the same life you're living. It's not all rosy with your nice, you know, uh, background and you're not on a beach. You're actually <laughs> in the basement and it's pretty messy down there. Uh, and so it's really, for me, it's been, it's been really interesting to see where pe people's real lives behind their flashy suits and their BMWs when they pull up to their meetings and you see, no, no, we're all living a very challenging uh, life right now. Sonny, I think you're you're absolutely right that we've got to think of this as um, as part of a very complex set of inequalities. And yeah, we have people who are um, serve you know serve communities and then get blamed for serving those communities or get neglected, right? And I think it's um, it's it's critical to to be thinking of this holistically. Think of this as as an equity issue. Um, but also continue to work hard as, as all of you guys are doing to make this a better, a better world. So on that thought, I wanted to ask each of you for a parting thought for our listeners, because I think the work that you do, I'm, I'm impressed by it on a, on a regular basis. I, I have the, the good fortune of, of being able to hear about your work regularly. And I think it's, it's a shining light. To, to others to see how individuals can can really create a a better more optimistic more hopeful future because of the kind of the grinding that you do on a day-to-day -day basis so i uh, just wanted to, to go around the the zoom table and and uh daniel start with you any parting thoughts to listeners on how they can help create that more perfect future for everybody Sure. Well, uh, you know, there's that is that Chinese proverb that a crisis is uh, the word for opportunity and um, something else. <laughs> uh, but part of it's opportunity. And sort of the lens here is, I think, you know, well, in some ways, as Dr. Larry Brilliant says, this is a practice pandemic. Uh, life is not practice. Um, and we have the opportunity to use the lens of of all the things that have changed from our ability to Zoom collaborate, to cross connect, to share data, to um, highlight disparities, to highlight new solutions, um, to open up our possibilities going forward. And I think the cover of Time Magazine is sort of, you know, the great reset 
uh, from a week or two ago. In, in a sense, this is a great reset, just like we can look back historically to World War II. And after the war, uh, you know, we had the United Nations come together. We had uh, the sort of the baby boom and other elements. Or you go back to uh, even the, the plagues right before the... Um, the Renaissance, uh, where the Black Plague was prevalent, and when the Renaissance emerged, uh, after that, uh, huge things changed. Or after 1918, when we had the Spanish flu, uh, shortly thereafter, we had the Roaring Twenties. So uh, in some ways, while we're in dark days, we can um, hopefully use this as, a, again, a catalyst and the tool sets and the collaborations and the mindset and some of the solutions to really um, you know, make the, the, the rest of the 2020s, the next Roaring Twenties, in, in all the good ways. Yeah, I just uh, in 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 the nine months that uh, you know we've been living this pandemic, I've learned two things. The first is that don't don't for a second think that you don't have something to offer. Whether you work in logistics, supply chain, you're a marketing person, you're an accomplished writer, you work in tourism, you drive a truck. These are societal problems, and everyone's perspective means something. And jump on a Zoom call. Don't be afraid to start attacking them. These problems. These are not problems that are going to end as when the when the lockdown ends because the pandemic's over. These are perpetual problems, and they're continuing to plague our society. And new problems are percolating every day. So put on that mindset of I'm going to think outside the box. I'm going to bring something to the table. Have confidence. Trust me. Your opinion's valuable. I've seen it with my own eyes. People in my organization who undervalued themselves are making major contributions and moving the needle in our organization. Right from our if people are you know assembling kits that are being mailed out, they're making major contributions to the way we think about this problem and how we're solving it. Thank you for that. I think that's that's a real call to arms. You know, sometimes believing that that you can't do anything is the most nefarious form of of self sabotage. And I think, you know, many people are like, I don't work in healthcare. What can I do? And I think, you know, we've seen that over these last nine months. Paresh, ending with you. Yeah, uh, for me, for me uh, personally, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, emotions that you know goes on initially, right? When everything uh, comes down crashing, like I always say, that's little thing that was so invisible, a common enemy brought everybody to knees. And then we didn't know what to do because we didn't know the enemy itself and then what it will do. Um, so, you know, that you know, when things that happen, a world problem, I think it brings the best of the world or the worst of the world, you know, you know, you know out. And then and some of the things we don't even know what might come out. And personally, what, what to me it did was, you know, I wanted to look back and said, okay, well, I, this, this is going to go on for a little bit while. I want to look back a year, two years, three years down the road when things are over look back and said, what did I do during the pandemic? And what was I doing, you know, in those times? So, and I made a use of myself to say, I want to do something that actually may at least, you know, help to contribute. Uh, brings uh, It brought out a lot of me that I didn't know. Uh, it brought out a lot of things I, I knew, which I actually validated and also learned a lot among the experiences that I actually had, like traveling alone. I never thought the world can be actually be this wonderful. Uh, so a lot of education on my part in looking at the airport when everybody's so scored and vulnerable and also, you know, working with some amazing folks who's willing to come out and help and then build this and gives me more courage to say there are people out there who's willing to do the working day to day. Like, because I remember one Taco Bell person will wait for me to come out of the factory and actually, even though it's awake an extra hour, he'll wait to actually give me that meal that I actually know this is the only meal I may get after the factory before I go to the motel. So a lot of humanities came out together as well. So I learned a lot. I personally grew a lot. And I think there are people who's going to be, 
you know, looking back and 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 look at it, and I I think it would be great if everybody just takes this as a reset button. Uh, priorities uh, have actually you know changed for a lot of folks for good. Uh, like you said, people are not afraid to get on a Zoom call and getting the work done, which is which is you know I've experienced both. I've done a lot of other my other businesses that are actually taking care of out of Zoom that I don't have to travel. And for my current situation, I traveled quite a bit. I haven't spent a really single day in you know, in a quarantine yet, or or at least uh, uh, alone. I've been out and about every single day. I've made about five international trips, you know, many many travels. I've done it, but I've learned uh, along the way. So, like Daniel said, I think we can look at this as a opportunity to grow, uh, reset button, uh, bring the best out of it, and and uh, you know, collaborate and grow. Thank you again, Sunny, Paresh, and Daniel for joining today. That's a wrap for this episode. I'm Shlomi Katan, and this is the Future Positive Podcast, an XPRIZE original. We'll be back next week with new episodes. Some of you have asked how to support the show, and if you like this episode or previous ones, please leave a rating on Apple. It really does help. We also now have XPRIZE merch, so head to shop.xprize.org to get yours. From backpacks made from plastic water bottles to recycled cotton tees to notebooks made from apple peel leather, every product is sustainably designed with the future in mind, including being sourced from sustainable, organic, reusable, or recycled materials. All profits from the collection are used to directly drive global impact in exploration, environment, and human equity. You can catch up on previous episodes of Future Positive on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit subscribe. If you have a crazy idea for a future episode, tell us what you think on social. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at XPRIZE. This podcast comes from XPRIZE, a global future positive movement of over 1 million people in Ryzen, delivering radical breakthroughs for the benefit of humanity. Sign up to join us and support the movement that is making change in the world 10 times faster. Whether it's lending a hand, a dollar, or an idea, we all have a role to play in making the future a better place. The only way to get that future, the future that we all want, is to create it ourselves. XPRIZE. Crazy ideas since 1994. Learn more at XPRIZE.org. And I'll see you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.